Good morning. Um, I apologize for uh, for my voice today. Um, uh, use an illustration before that I've got some pretty bad allergies and stuff, so I have this like uh, disease in me that causes allergies to to flare up and, and issues to happen inside my body. And so this weekend has been one with not a lot of sleep and not a lot of eating well. And uh, yesterday I, I cut my grass and it had been raining quite a lot. And so the grass was really thick and really high. And so I cut it and like every, I go back and forth and dump a bag back and forth. So there's like, I'm, I'm literally showering in, in grass. There's just grass flying everywhere. And so I have to like reach in to keep the bag from clogging up and grass flies up in the air. So I'm um, not doing so well. My allergies are winning. So pardon me. Um, but this is not just an apology. It's also an illustration. <laughs> um, you guys so condescendingly laugh at me and shake your heads. <clears throat> like you knew this was coming anyway, right? Um, so the allergies are winning. And uh, so the idea, the concept, the illustration is this, that we have a disease that's in us. And when we do things to feed that disease, it grows. Um, so I was, I was out of town, didn't take my, my allergy medication, strike one. I, I was feeding my disease. Uh, strike two is like inhaling lots and lots of grass and being around grass and, and grass just blowing everywhere and cutting the grass yesterday. Strike two. Um, uh, this weekend was, uh, like a, a, a trip that I won for work. So like one of the days was like, food and free food, free drink, like from 10 in the morning until like 10 at night. And so uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't take care of my body very well. Um, not a lot of water drink. Um, and so strike three. So there's like all these major things against me to get this to, to where it is and, and my voice where it is and um, <clears throat> coughing a lot, sneezing a lot, all those things. But the, the, the point is, is that like we, all of us, have a disease that's within us, and when we feed our disease, the disease comes up. And, and in the story that we're going to read today, Saul is, is feeding his idol, which brings up his sinful nature. So idols, the, the point that I want to start with here is that idols feed our sinful nature. And, and let that, as we walk through the story in the passage this morning, let us understand that. And so take it out of, we, we see it in the context of Saul, but also put it in our own context. When we feed our idols, we're really feeding our sinful nature. The disease that's within you, the sinful nature is your disease. And when you feed your idols, that sinful nature begins to blossom and grow and show up in, uh, in very material, uh, very visible ways. Um, before we get there, we're going to see Saul is like, he does a really, really evil thing. And we're going to deal with this, this idea, the, the problem of evil. So Saul does an evil thing. But before we, we jump on Saul for being an evil guy that does evil things, I want us to, to connect with 
who Saul was just a few chapters ago. Before uh, we're, we're in Psalm 22 today, our First uh, Samuel 22 today, but before we get there, I want us to understand that Saul was not long ago a man that was anointed by God and anointed by God's major prophet Samuel uh, to lead God's people. He's the very first king. Their very first earthly leader is, is Saul, and he's a guy worthy of that role. So Saul didn't just become this evil guy who does this evil thing in the story today, but it was a gradual process of him feeding his idol. The idol is, is power. Uh, so let's, let's get to the, the scripture this morning and, and dive into what God has to say to us. Uh, before we do, let's, let's pray. <clears throat> God, thanks for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together, God. And I pray, I, I thank you that you've called us um, here this morning. And I pray that you would open our eyes to the fact that you have something to say to us this morning. I pray that as we listen and sing and engage with you this morning, that we would be aware that, uh, that you want to say something to us this morning. God, open our hearts and our minds to, to what that is. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. So, 2 Samuel chapter 22, starting in, in verse 6. Um, and again, watch Saul feeding his idol of power, feeding his sinful nature. Uh, verse 6, now Saul heard that David was discovered. So David is running from Saul because Saul wants to kill David because David is a threat to his throne and his power and his authority. David is a threat to Saul's idol. So da- Saul is searching for him and he finds him. And the men who were with him, Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height of his spear in his hand and all the servants were standing about him and Saul said to his servants who stood with him here now people of Benjamin will the son of Jesse give you every one of you fields and vineyards will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds so Saul is, is, is angry at these people because they didn't tell him where David was they had found David but didn't tell him where he was and Saul's angry with them and he says to them, why are you protecting David? I'm the one that's going to give you what you want. And it's interesting because in the midst of, of Saul giving into his idols, he's assuming that everyone around him are, is giving into their idols. So he's trying to play to that. Verse 8. Um, look at the, the excessive use of the word me that Saul has. That all of you have conspired against me, no one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. Um, if you weren't with us in, in weeks past, uh, Saul's son Jonathan made a covenant with David that they were going to protect each other and they were, they were going to not harm each other. And nobody told Saul and Saul found out about it and he's angry at these people because they didn't tell him that his son Jonathan made a covenant. Uh, back to verse 8. None of you is sorry for me. Or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me. See how self-centered this feeding of, of your idols. The, like this is, you don't need a, a pastor to exegete scripture to tell you that when you feed your idols, you're interested in yourself. But maybe we do because we're not all that sharp 
But look at what he says here. It's just kind of whiny, right? None of you is sorry for me. You're the, you're the, you're the king, man. Why, why, would we, why do we need to be sorry for you? And he's, he's, concerned, he's concerned and consumed about himself. Why is everybody against me? He's like a, a little boy. Um, but I think what this highlights is the sinful nature. When it's left unchecked, it gives in to our idols, and we gradually become this sort of self-centered person that doesn't understand why everybody is against us. Um, so let's think just for a second about our sinful nature. Psalm 51 says that we were born sinners. Genesis 4 says that sin is crouching at the door. I want you to understand that. There's never a time in your life where sin is not crouching at the door, waiting to take from you. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Let me say that again. I want you to hear that. I want you to, we're trying to underscore the sinful nature that's in every one of us. Jeremiah 17 says that your heart is desperately wicked. Not just Saul's heart, not just the evil that's present in this world, not just ISIS, not just these really evil presence and forces in our, in our world. The heart, our heart, your heart, my heart is desperately evil. Do we, do we spend our time thinking about the fact that, that our hearts are, are desperately wicked and desperately evil? Um, I don't think we do, but the truth of the matter is, it's, they, they are. And when we feed our idols, that wickedness rises up. Just like when yesterday when I cut my grass and didn't hydrate well and grass is all over me, it is feeding into the disease, the, the wickedness that's within me. And we do it all the time. And here, it's plain to see that Saul is doing it. But for us, it's a, it's a little less like that. Um, we are all capable of evil. And I've said this before, but given the wrong set of circumstances, you and I are, are really, really capable of doing evil. Um, I think for us, a, a big part of our, uh, a major idol for us is our kids. What happens if somebody attacks your kids? What are you, what kind of evil are you capable of if someone's mean to your children? Maybe, maybe your, your marriage is an idol. What kind of evil are you capable of if someone is mean to your spouse? What kind of evil are, given the wrong set of circumstances, we can all act like Saul here. Saul happens to be king, so he's got a lot of authority and a lot of power, and he can get away with stuff. We're capable of, of a, lot of, a lot of great evil. Um, and when sin is crouching at our door, that begins to, to press into us. Let's get back into the story. Verse 9. Then Doeg, the Edomite, by the way, he's going to be the, the main one doing the evil later on in the story. And I think he was destined for that, right? If, if, you're, if your name is Doeg, the Edomite, like evil is, is in your future, you know? Doeg, the Edomite, uh, <laughs> who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Elimelech. 
the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So Ahimelech met with David, gave him food, gave him a sword, and prayed for him. That's what happens in verse 10. Verse 11, Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, and the priest who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. So Saul finds out that Ahimelech is praying for, giving rations to, and giving a sword to David, and it makes Saul mad. So what Saul does is, okay, all of these people, all the priests, all of the priest's family, all of Ahimelech's family, and, all the, and his, his kids and his dad, everybody come to where I am. And again, Saul's in a place where his disease is coming out big time because he's been feeding his idols. Verse 12, And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub, which is Ahimelech. And he answered him, Hear my Lord. Verse 13, And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? Again, focus on himself. You and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have acquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as, as at this day. Then Ahimelech said to the king, Who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law? Remember, he's married to uh, Saul's daughter. And the captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house. In other words, this is a real guy. He's trying to, to press into his his idols and say, hey, if, if you can get beyond yourself, if you can get beyond your idols, you would see that this guy is faithful to you. He's not a threat to you. He's a help to you. But Saul continually is giving in to his idols, and he is a threat to him. Verse 15. Is today the first time I've inquired for him? No. So he's been praying for David for a while. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. He doesn't know the ins and outs of David's and Saul's dilemma, their, their fight, their war against each other. Um, but all he knows is that he's been faithful to Saul, and so he's been helping him. Verse 16, here comes the evil. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house evil is, is coming out here. And, and this is a, the perfect storm of circumstances for Saul. He's been giving into his idols and he's got a lot of power and authority and so he's, he's clinging to that. The sinful nature of Saul is fueling his idols so profound here that he's willing to speak this curse on Ahimelech. And again, a few chapters ago, this was a guy anointed by God to lead his people. He was good, doing good things, doing right things. And now here he is about to commit great evil. Verse 17, And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me, but the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Um, verse 18, Then the king said to Doeg, after the first guys wouldn't kill all the priests, you turn and strike the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priest. And on that day he killed 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. Is that, like, let's not, let's not pass by that. 
85 people lost their lives on this day so that Saul could cling to his idol. That is, that's some real evil. He kills 85 people because Saul is evil. But it's not over. There's more to it. He kills women and children. Evil is real in this world. Sin is real in this world. And given the wrong set of circumstances, evil is present in each one of us and able to come out. Remember, sin crouches and we are desperately wicked. We are all hostile towards God. And we've seen elsewhere in Scripture that it's our sin that sends Christ to the cross. Verse 19. And Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword, both man, woman, child, and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. This is, this is mass murder that's going on here, all to protect the idol of Saul. And I want you to know this. If we realize and recognize our idol, and then we have the opportunity to protect that idol, for the most part, we're going to do evil things. Maybe not quite as, as ugly as killing 85 people and then women and children and oxes and donkeys and all these things. We may not get to that point, but we are capable of, of really bad evil. You are capable of really bad evil because sin is crouching at your door. And your heart is desperately wicked. Um, so we may not be terrorists, as Doeg the Edomite is here, but we're, we're capable of really bad evil. Um, I want to talk uh, for just a second about God's response in the middle of evil. One of, the, one of the major problems in our culture today, one of the reasons why people don't come to church, why people don't engage with God, is because how can God be good and yet evil be in the world? It's been said this way before. If, if God is good and sovereign, evil can't exist. Because if God is good, he would eradicate evil. And if God was sovereign, he could eradicate evil. So because evil exists, God either has to not be good or has to not be sovereign. And yet this story happens in the middle of Scripture. We're, we're reading this, this evil story in the midst of Scripture. So how, how, does, how does evil exist in a world with a sovereign God and a good God? It's, it's a confusing thing. And it causes people, probably causes you at some times, to, to question and wonder why God is here. Um, I did a wedding for a girl a couple weeks ago who was a 17-year-old daddy's girl when her daddy died instantly. She loved her dad. Her dad loved her. They were great and fantastic. And, and she was angry at God for a long time. There's a part of her that still is because her dad died. Went to work one day and that was it. Um, and I've, I've spoken about our, our good friends who the mom has cancer and, and will likely not make it through the summer. How, how, does, how does a sovereign good God allow cancer to be a thing? It, and she's, like, her name is Jenny, and now she can't walk. She has to, everywhere she's got to go on a in a wheelchair, and, and her husband's got to pick her up out of her wheelchair to, to carry her to bed, to take her to the bathroom, to, 
to let her shower. All these things have to happen. And cancer has literally just wrecked her body. And she's got a daughter. Um, Jen, how old is Hannah? Five? Um, she's got an daughter who's five years old who probably won't have many memories of, of all of her mom. How, do, how does that exist? How does that evil exist if God is sovereign and God is good? Um, I wish I had a really great answer for that. Um, but at the heart of it is this phrase, and, and this, is, like, this is really hard to hear. Um, first, in the midst of evil, the, the, the first answer that I would give to you is that God is about his glory. And that, like, that's hard to hear and hard to understand and, and hard, to, hard to get to. Um, but allow me a little bit of a leeway here to, to, to explain this idea. First, you're, you're not God, and you don't know the end of the story. And that's, that's hard to know and hard to hear, um, hard to accept, because there's evil in this world. But you have, you have a, a, an enemy— I've said this many times. You have an enemy who's very real and very powerful and very effective um, who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And his name is Satan, and he is your enemy. And he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, but God, if, if God is really about his glory, and let, let's, let's walk through this. God is, is really about his glory. He is orchestrating events to get your mind off of me, remember Saul, why did you do this to me? What are you doing to me? Me, 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 me. God's glory is about getting our eyes off of him, off of ourselves, and onto him. And, and at first glance, that appears very arrogant. When I, when I hear this, when I study this, when I think about this concept, my first reaction is, God is all about his glory. Nobody wants to be around somebody who is Hey, look at me. Everybody pay attention to me. Everybody pay attention to me. And that's who God is. If God is truly first and foremost about his glory, he's the guy you don't want to hang out with. Every story turns back to him. You know the guy I'm talking about, right? Every story. Oh, yeah, that happened to me once. Oh, yeah, that happened to me once. Oh, yeah, something like that happened. Like everything revolves around them. But with God, it's, it's different because if God is, is really about his glory and getting it, your attention off of yourself and onto him, he's getting your attention off of yourself and onto him because he is the most beautiful, amazing, wonderful, perfect thing, the only satisfying thing in this universe, in this world that you will ever encounter. The only in, in all-satisfying thing is God. So the most loving thing that God can do to you is to force you to see him. Does that make sense? The most wonderful thing that God can do for you is to tell you about his glory, to tell you about how great he is. And in this particular setting, if if Saul is interested in the glory of God instead of the glory of Saul, things are completely different. God has a plan. You aren't God. You don't understand. Tim Keller says this. We would pray better 
are actually, it's, it's uh, let me pause for a second, figure this out. Um, we should be praying about what God Erase, rewind. Here we go. Um, we would pray better if we knew what God knew. God intends for us to pray the way we would pray if we knew all that he knows, but we don't know. And so life is affected differently for us. We engage God differently because he is incredible and bigger than what we see. And so as we engage cancer, as we engage death of parents, as we engage evil in this world, God is orchestrating events to get our minds off of ourselves and onto him. Um, Because this phrase, when God is about his glory, he is about your hope. Let me say that again. When God is, is about glory, he is about your hope. Because your only hope rests in his glory. And your only hope rests in your, your ability to see his glory. The fullness and majesty of who he is. Verse 2. Or the second point here. There is more to this life than this life. How do we deal with evil? We understand that there's more to this life than this life. Um, You and I are made for something other than what is present in this world. You and I are made for something other than what is present in this world. Peter says, at the beginning of his, his first epistle, says that we are strangers and aliens in this world as he begins to talk about suffering. We have a sense at times in this world, do, is, it, is it right? We have a sense at times in this world where there's, there's something more important than us, than our life. What about your children? If your children were dying, if your children were, were dying, would you take their place? What about secret service taking bullets for the president? What about uh, people at war willing to give, to sacrifice their lives? Um, Abraham Lincoln wrote this to a lady who's only known to my knowledge as Mrs. Bigsby who lost six children in the Civil War. She's, he, Abraham Lincoln writes a long letter to her and, and in that letter he says this, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only with the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. Okay, so if, can, can you connect with that? Can you connect with, with that last phrase? The solemn pride that must be yours. Again, Lincoln writing to someone who lost six children in the Civil War. The solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. There is a hint in us naturally in us that tells us there is something greater in this life than this life. And as we engage and see evil, we, we see that. Um, let's finish up with David's response to this evil. Verse 20. 
But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. So Doeg the Edomite, at Saul's calling, kills all these people, women, children, oxes, donkeys, priests, and all the family of Ahimelech, except this guy, Abiathar. He escapes and he runs to David. Verse 21, Abiathar told David that Saul had killed all the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death for all the persons of your father's house. David takes responsibility for what happened. I, I, really, I really need you to see Jesus here. In the middle of evil, in this awful, terrible issue of evil, David takes responsibility for this evil. This is Jesus on the cross taking responsibility, taking it all onto himself. This is headship. This is leadership. This is David being a picture of Christ. Verse 23, even better. David says to Abiathar, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Do you, like, do you see the big flashing Jesus light right there pointing on David? David is acting just like Christ. There's evil everywhere in this world. People want to steal, kill, and destroy from you. But the answer, stay with, stay with me. I will protect you. In the middle of hopeless evil, there is hope. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. I'll keep you safe. Let me end with this arrow to Jesus. Jesus is the true and better David who offers friendship to those who have no hope. And again, like, Jesus is the true and better David who offers friendship to those who have no hope. We have a sinful nature. We have this evil that's present in us. We engage evil in this world. We're broken people doing broken things to each other, breaking things even worse everywhere. But Jesus is the true and better David who in the midst of evil brought someone alongside of himself and brought hope to him. And, a, and a, like, get your mind off of the evil and onto this saving, beautiful Jesus Christ. This is like... If our lives really aren't about here, and we're, we realize that our lives really aren't about here, any opportunity to get our minds off of ourselves and onto him and his provision and his, his hope, isn't that good when we, when we see the glory of Jesus? When we realize that we find ourselves next to the Savior? <clears throat> The second thing, Jesus is the true and better David who suffers at the hands of evil men and brings hope. Do we, like, when we engage evil and we get so bent out of shape and ask God why evil exists in this world, 
can you, are you able to stop and think that the most evil thing that ever happened happened to Jesus? Evil men did evil things to the perfect Son of God. And the beautiful thing about all of that, we can so easily see that God used evil to bring good. Is that, is that easy to see at the cross? God used evil men to do an evil thing to accomplish his good purpose. Why evil? How does God a good, a good God exist and a sovereign God exist and evil happens in this world? Can you ask that question of the cross? Good came from it. But we're so consumed with me We're so consumed with this moment here that we can't see, like, we live our lives on Good Friday when Easter is a reality. Evil exists in the world, but God has a purpose for it. And if we could get beyond ourselves and see that God is about his glory and God being about his glory is a really good thing for us. Evil leads to hope at the cross. But even when God is about his glory, he is about your hope. Let's, uh, let's pray and get a chance to sing songs and consider our God. God, thank you so much for your son Jesus. God, uh, I pray that you would teach us how to how to respond to evil, God. God, I pray that the evil that dwells within us would come out, Father. And as it does, we see your steadfast love and mercy for giving us and your grace pouring over us. God, I am keenly aware of my own sin and my own capability to do evil. But in the midst of that, Father, you have shown me your son, Jesus. You've spoken truth, God. Lord, and I pray for... I pray for us today, God, that as we come face to face with our idols, that we would seek to crush them and not to feed them, Father. As we come face to face with our sinful nature, God, that we would not believe the lies of the enemy to say that this is who we are, God. But instead, we would see your perfect 
providing Savior Jesus who endured our evil and defeated it on the cross, who says to us, stay with me and I will protect you, who takes the responsibility for our sin. God, forgive me for feeding my idols. God, give me grace to defeat them. God, may our eyes be drawn to you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.